Good morning, everybody. Everybody doing well today? Well, you know, in light of just kind of discussing, talking about our vision to move to uh, start another location in Waterloo, and as many of you know, uh, you know, Life Church is really on a mission to uh, multiply and to plant more campuses, to reach more areas throughout our city and throughout our country and world. You know, we're on a we're on a mission, a God given mission, and we're excited about that. And over this last year, as we've been endeavoring to plant these locations and, you know, plant churches, uh, all of us pastors, but, you know, I know, just speaking for myself, we've really uh, been very engaged in the study of church planting. You know, it's not something that uh, you get to vision, God leads you, but then you're a steward of that vision, right? Just like anything else. And so you uh, take it uh, seriously and you uh, aim to study and to equip yourself and to learn and to gather resources and knowledge and everything you can to be ready for the journey ahead. And so I've just really been fascinated and enjoyed all of the different things I've been able to learn and and throughout all of history, really, with church planting and multiplication. Uh, And one of the things that I've really been fixated on is just the study of the way the New Testament church emerged. You know, that was really the greatest church planting movement in history was whenever after Christ left the earth and the apostles began to multiply and preach the word in every city and every place that they could go. And churches were just emerging. And what really I think uh, is amazing to me more than anything is how the cause and the mission continued to advance and and God's kingdom continued to grow in spite of some of the most significant kind of opposition and adversity that's ever been faced to a cause or a mission. You know, we go about doing things in our lives today and we face opposition and struggle that gets us down or, you know, threatens to throw us off track. But in reality, as far as we humans are concerned, they're in real, no proportion to the level of adversity and things that were faced by those that started the early church. You know, things like persecution from the governing authorities, wherever they were. If it got to be too big or too fast or God began to move too quickly or do too many miracles, the governing authorities got involved. You know, once churches got started and, and they began to kind of get established and the apostles would move on and begin to go into new cities and new areas, things like false teachers emerging in the, in the churches that were growing and starting to come up and get established started to happen. Uh, you had immorality that started coming in in the church once it was, you know, getting going. You had division. You had different church uh, congregations feeling like they're following this person or that person and, and you know, getting confused on that. Even the teachers in the church began to get immature about that, uh, the leaders, and, and began to be prideful and boastful. And so what I'm getting at is there's all these things that just kept happening that threatened the cause of advancement for the mission that God had laid forth to the apostles. But what, what they did was continue to move forward in spite of all of this overwhelming adversity and evidence of why maybe they shouldn't continue to do that. And, you know, in our lives today, there's really no difference uh, in the fact that whenever we move forward in something God is telling us to do or we follow God's will for our life or we obey his word, that there's always a significant 
opposition or adversity that we're going to face. Let me put it another way. There are un, non-ideal circumstances that are always in the midst of every godly decision that we are aiming to follow out in our lives. And really, we shouldn't be surprised by that because what we're doing and what the early church did when we are following God's call for us or when we're being obedient to his word is we are advancing the kingdom of heaven on earth. We are moving God's purposes forward. And when we do that, it should be of no surprise to us that we would face opposition from the enemy and the rulers of this earth in this world that want nothing more than God's will and God's plan to be aborted and, and thwarted. Are you with me? It's kind of like an army wouldn't march right into an enemy's camp and the enemy just open up, lay down their swords, surrender, get out of the way, and not even put up a fight. They wouldn't do that. They would stand their ground. They would try to fight for what was theirs. And that's what's happening whenever God is using us and, and we're following out his plan for our lives. We're being obedient to his word. When that's happening, there's an opposition, a direct opposition that's being faced here in the world because it's trying to resist the kingdom of heaven being expanded and advanced because what that means is that the kingdom of darkness is, is retracting and being moved back when the kingdom of heaven is moving forward. So it really should be no surprise to us that anything God tells us to do, whether he's revealing his plan for your life to you, your calling, what you should do, or whether it's just simply his, his word, the word of God, being obedient to it and doing the things it commands us to do in a life lived for Christ, it should be of no surprise to us that we will always have uh, non-ideal or, or inconvenient circumstances and challenges that go right along with every one of those decisions and every one of those steps of advancement that we would make in our life more towards what God has for us. The kingdom of heaven has always really, if you look back since the beginning of time, has always been advancing and always been moving forward. Even in the days of the Old Testament, everything was moving up to and leading to the coming of a Messiah to bring salvation to us. And then when the Messiah came and the power was released on earth, through him, through his spirit, through the Holy Spirit, the, the kingdom of heaven has continued to advance consistently all throughout time in spite of all of the works of the enemy that are present here in this earth that we dwell in. It's just like it says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when God's purposes, when God's will is happening on earth through his people, then the kingdom of heaven is being advanced here on this earth. And we get to be partakers of that. Better yet, we get to be vessels, instruments for the usage of that God-ordained mission since the beginning of time. And that is a very exciting thing. And what's important for us as uh, children of God, to remember always in our lives as we move in the things God has for us is that we realize that God has created us. He has, through Christ, lifted us up 
to a place, as it says in the book of Ephesians, heavenly places, to sit with him and, and to be in heavenly places, to be up above in a spiritual sense over the things of this world. So what that means is that the circumstances that are all a part of the world that we live in, that we face whenever we're moving in the things God has for us, what God is calling us to do is to realize, we can't do this through our mind, but to accept through faith that we've been raised up to a place of heavenly places with Christ Jesus to look over those things from a higher perspective so that we have a spiritual level of discernment to, over the things that are happening in the natural. And what that will allow us to do is to keep the God the plan God has for us and what his word says to do, the primary motive and the driving force beyond all of the other circumstances in this world that threaten to abort our mission or to deter us from the things that God has for us. It's kind of like saying there's, all, there's a lot of different factors that you can consider or different circumstances that you can uh, think about when you're making decisions. But at the end of the day, whatever God says to do is what's the right thing to do, no matter how many circumstances seem to be inconvenient going along with that thing that God is commanding us to do. So being in an elevated place in heavenly places, looking down over the things of the natural, we can see that all of this is secondhand, and what God is commanding and telling us to do is the primary motivator and the factor, the determining factor in every decision that we are to make. Doing the right thing is the right thing, the godly thing, whether the circumstances are the most convenient or the most inconvenient. That part is irrelevant. The God thing is the only thing that matters. Let's pray as we get into this today. Father, I ask you to just, by your Holy Spirit, Lord, speak through me. Begin to open up the truths of your word to us today. Lord, strengthen our spirits and lift us up, God. Edify us through your word. Move powerfully in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I'm calling this message, the title of it is uh, Do It Anyways. Do It Anyways. So of course, the early church leaders, they understood the circumstances that they were facing once they really kind of got into it. They realized what they were dealing with and they were contending with, with the challenges and the messiness and everything that went along with moving God's will and his kingdom forward through expanding the church across the land. They got that because they were dealing with it. But it didn't stop them. It created problems and challenges that had to be dealt with but it didn't stop them. They kept moving because God had spoken and he had told them what they were to do. You know, they didn't look around and say, wait a minute, guys, I know God is telling us to go to this next city, and, but look, let's just think about this rationally here. We've got problems in every one of the churches that we've started so far. I think we need to just put this thing on pause. Let's go back to these other places. Let's deal with the corruption. Let's deal with the immorality. Let's just get all of this straight because it's just a bunch of mess. Let's get it back to ideal so that the circumstances are desirable. And then we'll go ahead and move forward again in what God is telling us to do right now. Right? They didn't do that. That wasn't even an option or a consideration. 
I'm sure their flesh may have wanted to and it may have entertained it at times, but the point is, is that what God had told them to do and move forward in was the driving factor. And even though they had all this stuff to deal with, these lack, these uh, unfortunate, inconvenient circumstances, what God was trying to do continued to advance and move forward and press through no matter what was happening in the earthly sense that seemed unfortunate or threatening or opposing to what they were, they were doing and moving in. So here's, I guess, to kind of lay this foundation is that we are, perfect circumstances are an impossibility for us. They're an impossibility because we are a fallen, imperfect people dwelling in a fallen, imperfect world. So that recipe right there, that formula, will never allow, just think about it, will never allow for perfect circumstances, for ideal situations, and never any opposition or challenge or, or messiness to what God is calling us to do. So imperfect circumstances are an impossibility in the world that you and I live in. That will never be the case for us. However, what we are to do as children of God is we are to see the perfect in the midst of the imperfect. And there is a perfect God with a perfect plan that reigns over this broken, imperfect world. And that is the God that you and I serve and the God that lives in us and empowers us to carry out the will and the task that he has for us in the midst of all of this imperfection that he's created us to walk in and live in. And that excites me because I can see the perfect in the midst of the imperfect. But in order to do that, I can't get this. I can't look around me. I have to look above me. I can't look at my circumstances and all of the situations that are factors in the decisions. They got to be weighed out, but I can't look at them and allow them to be influencers and in whether I do or do not do what God has commanded me to do. Finding the perfect in the midst of the imperfect requires us to always be looking up toward heaven and never looking around in our circumstances and whether or not it makes sense or how convenient it is for us to follow in the things that God would have for us to do. And once we know the plans that he has for us, once we have been given revelation as to the truth in his word, once we have that, then nothing else matters. Following God is it. It's the only option that remains. You know, it's kind of like in this whole situation with what Pastor Jobs was just talking about with going to Waterloo. And if you were here last week, you know, I, I kind of talked about how it's a really like a lot of aspects to this decision that are very hard for Katie and I to, you know, the relationships here and everything. It's like these are really tough factors. But God is just really speaking to me hard through all this. And he's saying, look, what I'm calling you to do is what I'm calling you to do. And you need to trust me to work out and handle and deal with and empower you to deal with all of the other circumstances and situations, just like the relationships and everything else, how that's all going to shake out. You need to allow me to be the one you trust to work that stuff out because I've already told you to go. I've already told you to do this. So all of these other things, if you, if you almost 
like think about them and process them as if, well, if enough of this makes sense, if there's more pros than cons, okay, I'm going to do it. No, it's all about there's only one voice that matters, and it's what God's telling you to do in all the other circumstances, even if they're the least desirable that you can imagine. When God says to do it, you just have to do it. You just have to do it. It's just like when Paul said in Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 23, he says, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing what awaits me there, except for the Spirit has testified that chains and tribulations await me. I mean, that is like one of the most least desirable situations that you can face, right? I mean, but he's saying, I'm bound in the Spirit. God's told me to go. That's it. Other options are done. It's been burned. There's only one course that I can go on. I don't, you know, I don't even know what awaits me there. I, I know that it's bad, but God said to do it. There's just nothing else to say about it. That was his position. You know, and a lot of people, when it comes to things like this, when God shows you something, they, 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 they hear it, they kind of grab it at first, but then the circumstances start to set in and they kind of like, Take a few step backs from the situation. Let me just think about this for a minute. You know, going to Jerusalem, chains, tribulations. Yeah, maybe. I mean, Jerusalem's going to be there next year, right? It's going to be there next year. We could, we, let's go over to Corinth. I mean, things are going really well in Corinth. They, they need us there. Let's go edify the leaders, right? I mean, there's a lot of things that probably could have made sense that seemed justifiable to the apostles to do, but it wasn't even an option to the Apostle Paul. Those weren't even discussions that he permitted them to have. I'm bound in the Spirit. Don't even, don't even bring it up again. I'm going. I don't want to. I'm like you. I don't want to. I'm going to miss you. But I've got to do what God is telling me to do. He didn't evaluate the circumstances for more favorable options. What's right is right, no matter whether it's the most convenient or inconvenient of circumstances. You know, it's like just being honest and telling the truth can sometimes be a very challenging thing to do in the midst of the natural, in the midst of the fallen world we live in and all the circumstances we face. Because being honest, let's be honest, can cause us sometimes to lose things. It can cause us to lose money. It can cause us to possibly lose a relationship. It can cause us to lose progress in something we're doing. A lot of things that our flesh is arguing against our spirit saying, no, 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 no. These things are too inconvenient for you. Just don't worry about the whole honesty thing right here. We can just kind of do a little tweak around it. We'll get right back where we were. Everything will fall back in place. Sometimes even something that simple can be so difficult. But that doesn't matter, does it? When God says to do something and he gives us a command like being honest and truthful, he's, he's not making exceptions to the rule. He's not giving us uh, times whenever we can, you know, go around that. It's a blanket thing. It's just this is what you do. So no matter how inconvenient the outcome, if my whole world seems like it's going to fall apart from just being honest, a lot of people lose their jobs because they won't tell a lie, you know? And that happens in the world we live in. 
But God's got that thing in control, right? And so even though it looks like the whole world may come apart on us when we're doing what God is commanding us or telling us to do, we have to get the resolve in us to, under, to really grab hold and hang tight and be bound to the spirit that we're going where God leads us no matter what the outcome, no matter what the inconveniences that we're going to face along the way would be. It's just like Job said in, in chapter 31, verse 6. I love this. He said, let me be weighed on honest scales that God may know my integrity. Oh, I just, it's one of my favorite scriptures. It's just so powerful. Let me be weighed on honest scales so God can know my integrity. You know, integrity, basically by definition, is whole and consistent throughout, unchanged, no matter what the exterior circumstances or situations that are faced would be. And that is how we are to live our lives, a life of integrity, just like Job, that we could be weighed on honest scales when we meet our Lord and know that we followed his commands and his will, no matter what the world put in our face to try to deter us or get us off course from even some of those things that, were, that seem like the simplest things in our daily walk with him. Most of the time, there are far greater reasons not to move forward and to follow the things that God has for us, then there are reasons why to. That's just the reality. But it's, it's not about the total number of reasons. It's about, the, it's about where the power is. It's about where the truth is. And where God's will is, is where all the power and the truth exists. In the, in the earth, in the world that we live in, there are an, a limitless number of arguments and circumstances. The, the Bible says the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So there's never going to be a run-out time, an empty stage for the, the enemy of this world when it comes to all of the arguments and reasons and circumstances that he can throw at you to get you to get off track of what God is trying to get you to do. I... He will never run out of ideas and tactics to be able to do that. And when we turn up the volume on the earthly circumstances, we turn down the volume on the voice of God. When we allow the, the world's arguments and reasons to echo louder in our minds than God's voice is in our hearts, then we can begin to drift subtly off course of what God is trying to lead us to do. And as a result, there is nothing profitable for us that comes from that. We are not strengthened in our faith. Kingdom purposes are not advanced. When we are not walking in line with what God is telling us to do in his word or the plan that he has for our life. It's just like in the uh, book of Numbers in chapter 9, whenever Israel is going through the desert, and if you were at one of the Tuesday night services recently, Pastor Rick talked about this, where there was the cloud that rested over the tent, and the cloud represented the presence of God. And basically, whatever the cloud did dictated what the people did. If the cloud moved, then the people would pick up camp and they would follow it. And if it, if it moved for days and never stopped, they would keep moving. But if it stopped and it sat for a day, the Bible says a day, a month, or a year, they remained, and they didn't move. 
And I think about that. That's, that sounds like, I mean, that's, we can get the picture of, okay, where the presence of God is, we want to be. When God's presence moves, we move. And when God's presence stays, we stay. But think about this for a second. Think about the circumstances that probably challenge their flesh. Well, man, uh, I know the cloud's moving, but did you see the spring? Have you tasted the water we have here? I mean, we just got all of our crops planted. We've got food for the, for the whole camp for the next six months. My wife is pregnant. She's giving birth here any day. I, I don't know if I can do that on the road. Think of all the circumstances that probably challenged them in their flesh, right? But, it, but at the end of the day, how many of those things really mattered or changed anything about what the cloud was doing? None of them, right? And if they would have made any decisions about those, based on those, if those were the most influential factors in their decisions, then they would have moved right out from under the cloud or stayed when the cloud moved and they would have been out from under the covering and the grace and the blessing of God. It's no different than the picture we have for our life today. It's no different. When God tells us to do things, when he gives us commands, when he gives us a vision, when he plants something in our heart and we know that it's him and we can, and we can confirm that with the word, then there's nothing, there, there are no other options. What is there to think about? You're moving out from under the cloud if you're, if you're considering something that is in opposition to what God has already told you to do. What is there to really think about? You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, 11 through 14, he said, these are some of the worst imaginable circumstances. He says, to the present hour, we both hunger and thirst and we are poorly clothed, beaten and homeless. We labor, working with our own hands, being reveled, we bless, being persecuted, we endure, being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscoring of all things until now. I mean, it doesn't get much worse than that, right? But he's saying... All of these, he's just kind of basically making a point. Because, you know, in the church and in, in, in the people, the leaders that were raising up, there's a lot of adversity and a lot of things that were deterring them. And he's saying, look, you don't think I can't relate? You don't think I don't understand? Look at all of this we're going through. But it doesn't change anything. We continue to endure. We continue to follow what God is telling us to do. And we continue to stay the course by his command and what his word is telling us to do. All of these things, wish they weren't the case. Very unfortunate, very inconvenient, but they are irrelevant. There is only one thing that's relevant, and that's that God's already told us to do it. So if there be tribulation and suffering, or if there be convenience, it's of no, it's of no difference to us. We are one and the same in the course that we are headed. Jesus himself even goes really hard on this point. He goes as far as to make sure we get the fact that every other option in our lives that we would face or be able to entertain must be eliminated. It must be eliminated. The only option that we can consider is the path that God has prepared for us. The Bible says in John chapter 14, verses 5 and 6, uh, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? The way. And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There was one way that was given, and it was Jesus, right? It was Christ. It was him who he was, the revelation of our Savior, and the, and the life that he is empowering us to live out, that he's called us to live. That word way 
when he says, I am the way, in the Greek is actually the word hodos, which means not just a way or a road, but it means the journey there, the path getting there. So God's way and his plan, of course we understand that to tell us that he is the way to salvation, to eternal life. But in the Greek where it says it's also the journey there, means that what God is commanding us to do each and every day and the things that we are to hold fast to from his word is the, is the only option, the only way to get to where God is calling us to go. We're always fixated in a direction of toward heaven with what we're doing. And so every step we take and every decision we make is always lining up with what the word of God is commanding us to do and what our Savior has prepared for us to do and laid before us. And so if that's the only option, then we cannot allow ourselves to get bogged down in the circumstances that are going to pop up whenever a godly command is given and let them become influencers in the decision where we almost like stop for a minute and wait and let's, let's consider everything that that the world is saying here before we move forward in what God is saying. And in the book of Matthew chapter 7, verses 11, or 13 through 14, it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go by it. But narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. Now here again, the word life in the Greek is the word zoe, which means, of course, spiritual life and eternal life, which is what we pretty well automatically get when we read the scripture. But it also means your present life, your physical life. So narrow is the way that leads to life, eternal life, but also the power of God in our life each and every day as we walk forward in the plans he has for us and seeing his purposes come to fruition in our lives. Narrow is the way. And because it's narrow, it's difficult. Because there are so many other options, the wide gate, there are many who fall by it. Because there's so many other things to entertain and consider whenever there's only really one determining factor that should be present in our hearts and in our minds, and that is Jesus and his plan for us and what his word tells us to do. Can I get an amen from anybody? God's plan and his word, it's not an invitation that we can just decline if we don't like the circumstances and consider other options that may be more convenient and available. It's the one and only way and path that leads to life that we've been given. Paul goes as far in the book of Corinthians chapter 7, 1 Corinthians, to, to refer to us as, as being slaves in Christ. And this is really powerful. He says in verse uh, 22 and 23, he says, For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. See, though we are made free in Christ, our heart is enslaved to him. Our heart is bound to his will and his word and his purposes. We are free and free indeed, but our heart is fixed 
on Christ and only his plans and only his ways and his word for us to be able to walk in and live out. And as a result, we are as free as we would ever be. He even goes on in the book of Ephesians and in 1 Peter, he uses the word bondservants. Bondservants. We are bonded to him in our service for him. That he, his plans, he is the ultimate master. He says, don't become slaves of men, right? Don't, don't become slaves to the circumstances. Don't be governed. Don't be dictated. Don't be influenced in your decisions on whether you're going to do what I'm commanding you to do or not by the things of this world. Do not allow yourself to do that, to get in a place where you entertain that and you begin to consider it in terms of whether or not you move forward and what you already know to be true. So really, my, my heart, you know, today is to, and for myself, is, and for all of us, is to really just strengthen our resolve to stay the course and to follow what God is telling us to do each and every day whether it's the still small voice that you hear in your heart and in your prayer time, or whether it's a decision you face and you know what the word of God and the scriptures tell you, and you don't need to know anything else, but to strengthen our resolve to be able to continue to burn every other bridge and eliminate any other access to where we're trying to go aside from the plan and the path that God has for us and what his word is laying out for us to do. We must have a heart of abandonment towards him and his will and burn all the bridges in our minds that provide access to any other alternative route. And I'll just kind of start to wrap up here by going to John chapter 6. And this is the, the part where uh, Jesus is he's preaching to the people. And he, he says something that's really, really hard for them. And I admit, this, this would be very difficult for me. Especially in the state they were in with the revelation of knowledge they had been granted at this stage of things. Jesus has said, he said, uh, you know, those that are to inherit eternal life, they're going to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And this was a really tough saying. The Bible says that many of the people couldn't understand this, uh, and so they left him. And we obviously know now through study and through revelation as we look at the scripture that Jesus is giving us the indication that his body is going to be broken, his blood is going to be spilled. And if we eat that the, his body, his flesh, and we drink his blood, meaning we consume and we receive those things that he's doing, then we're granted eternal life. But they didn't get that at the time. You know, it was not, not something that they understood at all. And uh, in verse, jump to verse 60 here, again in John 6, he says, Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The, f the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. And so, look, not to get too much into this, but when Jesus speaks, he's the word. He's speaking the word. We also have the word of God now, and we have Jesus when he speaks to us. So the words are life and they are power. But what he's saying is, he's saying everything that the world is saying, because what I say to you, my words are spirit and they are life. Everything the world says to you is not life. So therefore it's dead. 
And if you make decisions and you walk out your life and actions based on what the dead voices and the things that have no life in them are telling you to do and influencing, then you'll get nothing more than dead works. But if you move forward in your life based on what I'm telling you to do in my word, then my words are spirit in their life. And what will happen is that fruit, living fruit, will be produced through your life and the kingdom of heaven will advance and my purposes will continue to be fulfilled on this earth as they are in heaven. That's what he's saying, right? So he's saying, don't, don't make decisions, don't live your life based on being influenced by dead words and dead things of this world because there's no life in them. You can only go the one way I've set before you, which is through my words, which are spirit in their life. Then he goes on and he says, but there are some of you who, Okay, he says, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said to them, therefore I have said to you that no one could come to the Father unless it has been granted to him by, or no one could come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away. What a profound moment in history. This is, this moment, just reading about it, just makes my spirit leap. I mean, Jesus is giving them an opportunity to make a decision to follow him or follow the world. He's giving them a choice in the matter. This is screaming at us today because I believe that God is asking a lot of us this same question each and every day. Are you wanting to go away? Do you also want to leave? Or are you prepared to continue to walk with me through what lies ahead in the midst of all of this messiness and difficulty? And what did they say? Simon Peter answered him and he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What is he saying? Jesus, there's not even a decision to make. This world has nothing for us. There there isn't even an option. God, Jesus, we know who you are. We see that you're the truth and the way and the life. We see that your words are spirit and they are life. What, what is there to consider? I believe that in that moment, Jesus had so much joy in his heart. So much joy in his heart for the way that they responded. And I believe that's the question that we're asking, let's ask ourselves today, whether it's you've never received Christ as your savior and you're not, you've not committed your life to living it for him and surrendering to him so that you could be empowered to be able to uh, receive eternal life but also walk out the purposes and the plans here on earth that Jesus has for you. Or whether it's just you're, you're living your life, you, be, you love God and you've received Christ but you're, you're making decisions and you're taking steps and, and, and having actions that are influenced by all the circumstances around the world. 
you've, you've, you're not totally abandoned to what God's word is commanding you to do. And if we're in any, either of those places, then I believe God is gonna meet us here today where we are. And he's gonna strengthen us and he's gonna empower us. And he's gonna move supernaturally by his Holy Spirit to be able to give us exactly what we need for what lies ahead. Because there's only, when we all walk out of here, every one of us have only one road to follow, one path. And every one of us have the opportunity to make decisions to go off that path by the multitude and the barrage of influencing circumstances that we will all meet as we move forward in what God has for us. No question about it. Every one of us will face that. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet.